welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. I think of these individuals that we are teaching, that we are proselyting to, telling them about the first vision and just them feeling the spirit and that they would get baptized is is Girl. just to me still mind boggling. Like they would have friends tell them that you guys are kind of crazy. Their pastors would show up at their doorstep. They're like, they just showed up. How are you doing this? And they had like, I look at them as like, we always talk about pioneers. Like these are modern day pioneers for what they are doing for their country, for their family, for their posterity. Like, Welcome back to the Here I Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. I am here with Carrie, is it Balesa? Balesa. Did I say it right? You did. Good job. Thank you. I hear like Balusa, Balasa, Balasa, but Balesa. Made it happen. There we go. So Carrie is a friend of Rajiv's that he was just on the episode previous. So, and, and I guess backing up a little, you mind telling us about yourself? Where you're from? And- uh, yeah. So my name's Carrie. Hi, everybody. Um, I grew up in uh, Seattle, Washington. I tell everyone Seattle, but well, I was born in Seattle, uh, but I grew up in a town called Federal Way, which is like 15 miles south of Seattle. What? What made you want to serve a mission? Um, well, let's see. I'm the oldest of four boys. Um, I always thought it was kind of just my responsibility. Um, I grew up in the church, both my parents. Um, so yeah, I was always at church. Um, there weren't a ton of members in Seattle, but I had a nice core of little, you know, like church friends and I love my mom to death, but I just knew, I think if I didn't, I always knew I, I wanted to go on a mission. I thought I needed to, but I think at the back of my mind, it was like, mom would be super bummed or super sad. She'd probably tell you now that's not true, but I think maybe it is. At the time it was. At the time it was. <laughs> and I did not not want to. I just always figured I would, but it wasn't like some burning desire. It was just like, this is kind of what you do. Yeah. I wish I would have had that, you know? Like I went to four years of seminary. I was always like falling asleep because I don't think it's fair. In Washington, we have to get up every mo- you know, in the mornings and do seminary. Like I hear these chumps in Utah, Idaho, Arizona, yeah. that they just go to school. <laughs> like you, you guys are weak. I wish I would have been like some sweet seminary student. Getting up and being there at five every morning is for a high school kid. There's nothing worse. So, but my mom would wake us up all the time. So, and then just get a nice little hoodie on and. Hopefully not fall asleep. <laughs> so you, you eventually put in your mission papers, you reach, you, you know, you uh, meet with your bishop and your stake president, put in your mission application. Yeah. And then once you're good to go, they send you a mission call. Yeah. So the story about that is, so I was at good old Rick's college. Okay. Which, the, you know, is now like BYU. Yeah. Idaho, that's how OG you are. Yeah. It's always Rick's <laughs> to me two-year college at the time, um, the accomplished, we all went there. Um, 
And I went uh, at Christmas to my good old, I think it was Bishop Lou Spader, did my mission thing. And then it was like two or three, it was like two days before I was supposed to come home. Um, I got my mission call in Seattle. And like everyone at Rick's was like leaving. And I wanted to know where I was going. So I didn't do this crazy 50 people. We all get together. My mom opened my mission call over the phone and told me where I was going so that I could just tell people while I was there. And so she, I was like, she opens it and is like, you're going to Managua, Nicaragua. And I had absolutely no idea where that was. As embarrassing as that sounds, she didn't either. We're like, what? Where? What? <laughs> so we got on the map and saw, and we were going to Central America. And then learned like the civil unrest, the dangerous, the craziness of Nicaragua was there was missionaries in there in the 70s. Then they were killing people. They got pulled out. Missionaries weren't there for about 20 years and finally got put back in 1994. And so I went in July of 96 to start things pretty, pretty back recent. up to get it going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure her, her mother heart was not feeling too well, good. Well, yeah. Cause <laughs> then we'd tell people and they were all, you know, you'd heard about like the Sandinistas, a revolution. They were taking over. Are you going to, you know, everyone was like, are you going to wear a, uh, your mission tag or uh, no a mission tag, like a flak jacket, like a bulletproof vest on your mission. <laughs> I was like, uh, I hope not. Um, but everyone was like pretty seedy and then, you know, doing some research. It is, as I was saying earlier, the second poorest country in the Western hemisphere behind Haiti, like third world. And yeah, it's, it's nothing like the great old United States of America, but it has its own awesomeness down there. It sounds like probably your biggest concern going into Nicaragua and on your mission was probably the safety and, and, just the the difference in culture and yeah and i think that was maybe moms too but i also was like awesome bring it on no idea where i'm going what's going to happen but i like having a good time and would just thought that i've never heard of anyone that went to nicaragua um no one that i would tell they're like nicaragua where's that who's been there so it was kind of fun like kind of the unknown yeah and, uh, and the language, are you kidding me? I was in a Spanish class with his name was Senor Pahina and I would go to his class and I was the worst. Like I could never even figure out how to use the bathroom in his class. Cause I couldn't say it. So he wouldn't let me go. <laughs> I was like, you're killing me. So I was like, oh my gosh, I got the Spanish. And so I was like, all right, I guess we'll see what happens. So the church sends you to the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, to kind of hopefully get you up to speed on, on, I don't think they can do the language in two months or whatever, but, you know, yeah. teaching the gospel and the life of being a missionary. What happened to the MTC that was impactful for you? Because that's a long time to be there. Yeah, we were there for eight weeks. Um, and I met awesome friends. Like, it is crazy in this short, condensed amount of time these friends you have like our little district because we're all in it together you know yeah vulnerability is at an all-time high all absolutely <laughs> all-time high 
You know, we're all trying to figure this out. We're in class for 12 hours a day. We're all going to the same buffet, eating cereal. Sundays, they gave us like chicken cordon blue. And, um, but I was fortunate to have like fun individuals. Cause I, I'll be honest, I was a little worried at first because I always thought of missionaries and missionary work as like boring. You got to be buttoned up. You can't smile all the time too. At the at the MTC, they were like, "Quiet dignity, elder." Oh my gosh! Quiet they dignity. said that, and I didn't want to like. I'm into quiet dignity. Don't get me wrong, but like, come on, like we're not robots. We're not robots. Quiet dignity, elder. Um. And so I was a little worried, but then I met some characters like myself and we had a good time. Was there anything in the MTC that kind of helped you grow more converted to the gospel, especially, you know, going on your mission for two years to, to, to be preaching it? Yeah. Well, and as like growing up in the church, I wouldn't say like I was like, I appreciated the church. I, you know, um, I, I felt like I believed these things um, and I was grateful for, you know, the teachings. But as you said, I don't know if I was sold or not on everything. Um, and so, yeah, going to the MTC, um, there was a teacher who basically said, hey, you guys are going to be doing this morning, noon and night if you don't believe what you're teaching, you, why are you even here? You shouldn't be here. You know, if you don't believe in the first vision, you're going to be teaching about the first vision more than anything. You should just pack it up. And I was like, absolutely right. Like two years is a long time. What am I going to be doing? If I don't believe this, how am I going to teach it and testify? And like that night getting on my knees and praying and getting a confirmation from the Holy ghost that the first vision is real. It did happen. And it was like soothing and calming. And it was like, go time. It was like, all right, you know, this is real. I need to prepare even more. I need to study more on the mission. Like well, this is going to go by fast. So, uh, cause I wasted away a lot of time in seminary to be completely honest. Like I went, I think we're all guilty. Of that. I think I did, you know, all the scripture mastery stuff and all those things, but I wish now, like, I love listening to podcasts. I love going to Institute after like at one time I was like, Oh, I had such an amazing Institute teacher. I was like, I would love to be an Institute teacher. So I wish I would have had caught the vision. And unfortunately it took me a little more time. So, but, but at least you caught the vision. Yeah. And then you get on an airplane and you, your mission begins and you go to, oh, I guess it begins with MTC, but you get to go to Nicaragua. Yeah. Well, and the MTC is like day camp. Yeah. It's, it's nothing like we're like trying to speak <laughs> Spanish. We're all complete ding dongs. And then you get there and it's just like, is this Spanish? <laughs> like there's no idea what's going on. You touch down. There's no rules on the road. It's like we're driving in a little, getting picked up by our mission president in a little van. The car next to us is a buggy and a horse. It's like, where are we? Half the city's on fire when we touch down at night. It's like. Because they're burning the trash. They're or? burning the trash. Yeah. There's a distinct <laughs> smell. It's like we get out there. People are trying to grab our luggage, ask for money. It's just, it's also like 
400,000 degrees. The humidity is so hot. It's like, all right, where are we? Where are we? We're not in Kansas What are we doing? Yeah. (laughs) You did a really good job answering like all the questions I was going to ask of what it's like, because when I, when I picture Nicaragua, I've never been there. So I just think of like jungle forest. Yeah, there are, there are, there are places like that. Definitely. There's the forest jungle. Um, but there's also like the little city, you know, Managua was the capital. Uh, the highest building is three stories high. It used to be higher, but in the seventies, there was a, um, what's it called that knocked them down. There was a earthquake. Just didn't really build things back up after that. So a lot of rubble and, uh, yeah, but greatest place ever. I've been back like five times. Oh, nice. A couple of times with my wife, but, um, yeah. Um, so I always like to go into kind of the culture of places before we kind of dive into the stories. Common religion. I imagine most people were Catholic. Yeah. And then we, we spoke a little before this, that there's a lot of indigenous people there as well. Yeah. Mainly like on the, uh, on the, uh, um, like Managua's on the Atlantic, on the Caribbean side are more indigenous people, um, Mesquito people, um, and a lot of other, yeah, indigenous people on little tiny islands. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, so I imagine the Spanish was also pretty, a pretty good mix of, oh yeah, they're Spanish. And then I, in one of my areas there, they have this Mesquito language and I'm like, I'm trying to just hold down Spanish and, but then I was able to like learn a couple little words to like introduce myself to say where I'm from. And they always found that to be kind of like cute and charming. And they were always nice. Cause I was always very like insecure about speaking Spanish. I sound like just terrible. <laughs> and I was always like insecure. And it wasn't until I was like, who cares? Cause then sometimes they would like laugh at me and I was like, ah, oh. But then when I just decided to like not care is when it kind of all kind of just worked out. And sure, I couldn't roll my R's as good as anyone else. And I sounded a little off and whatever, but we could communicate and things got a lot better. Um, And then, yeah, culturally, um, it was very different. You know, we showered out of like a well in one area. You had to go get your water. Uh, one area, everything was cold water. I didn't have a warm shower for two years. Um, very cold water. Um, the food is completely different, like, but it was awesome. Cause everything's home cooked. The biggest meal there is called uh gallo pinto, which is basically rice and beans <laughs> mixed together, but they call it that. Um, I had a crazy, um, iguana soup one time. Is it like the tail? Yeah, a little of the tail. It was weird, but <laughs> you know, you got, you want to be respectful. I had one missionary one time I got this thing. I don't remember what it was, but my companion, Elder Hunt, who I love, um, he was like, you're eating that. I was like, what do you mean <laughs> I'm eating that? He's like, do you know what they did to put food on the table for you? No one else is eating here. At first I was kind of little bum. Then I was like, Oh, you're absolutely right. Like, yes, sir. Like I need to do this. And it was a good kind of, we were buddies too, but I think I kind of said the wrong thing or I was just, I was so glad that he said that to me because it changed my perspective on 
Yeah. No one is ever kind of eating here. They go get us drinks. They do everything for us. They have so much love and respect and admiration for us. And so out of, you know, respect for them, you eat everything. I think at least for me and most people, you remember your first day in like the actual field, like teaching. Yeah. Well, how was, what, what do you remember about your first day? So we go there. I told her we get in at night, wake up the next morning and all these missionaries come in and our mission president, president Townsend is, tells us we're each going to go with a missionary and we are supposed to go out with them in Managua. And I get paired up with this guy named Elder Duran, Elder Duran from Panama. He's from Chitre. And um, we, I just follow him around. This guy also was like a professional speed walker. Like I could <laughs> not keep up with this guy to save my life. I was like half the time like jogging, trying to keep up with him as he walks. But we go, would just knock doors. And I remember... I've never done this before, but his thing was we would get into someone's house, um, knock on doors, or if you even had a door, you'd yell, buenas, you'd just kind of get in. And then he would introduce us and he'd like, hey, we want to sing a song for you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, who's singing a song? Like, going to bust out some Pearl Jam alive right now for them? What is going on? He's like, nope, grab your hymn book. and. I seriously thought he was joking at first and he's like, Nope. And we started singing a hymn, pulled out our little, our little hymnos, hymnos. And then we say a prayer after. And I sang hymns my entire mission every really? time. Absolutely. It was the most, it was just brilliant. Like the, the, the spirit that it brings into these like we would laugh, joke around, but once the hymn started, it was like, like the pre-prayer and my entire mission, I sing hymns every day for people. And, um, it was awesome. I'm so grateful for him that he did that. Cause that's just what I did. I'm sure that's been influential in every church meeting you've had since the, the hymn is like, okay. Oh, it's time to get down to business. Yeah, it's time to get down to business. Yeah, I, and I now love hymns. I mean, let's be honest. There's about a hundred plus hymns in there that we don't sing, that we don't need, or even during church when they're being sung and the whole world is everyone's like, looking at each other. <laughs> I let's just take them out. You know, I, I don't remember what general authority or apostle said that, but he's like, if it's not hasn't been popular in the last hundred years of the church, it's never going to be popular. So yeah, Elder Duran, so first day, awesome, Duran. So you go from him to Clark to Hunt. Yep. And, and so I get sent to this area called Leon, which means lion. Leon, it's like the hottest place in Nicaragua. Leon also, Central America, I think it was its own country. Like back in the 1300s, Leon was like the capital of Central America. Beautiful place. They had a university there. Um and yeah, I was there one month with, um, Clark, two months with hunt who hunt, like taught me to be a missionary. He, um, just got back from this place called Bluefields that everyone wanted to go to on the other side of the country. And, uh, he just, I followed him around. He was just so awesome. Just like love the people. He worked so hard and just taught me so many good things. And then after Hunt rolled out, 
I'm comps with Duran. Back. And we're back. Singing together. Singing together. And he still hasn't slowed down. I think he's gotten faster. So I follow him around and I'm still one. We have this funny story because I just met up with Duran last month. He's visiting. Um, so I didn't still, my Spanish was just kind of busted. And Clark was American. And then Hunt was American. Uh, yeah. So all they're doing is talking me into English, which, so when Duran and I get together, he knows no English. I know no Spanish. And we're just like, okay, buddy. So there would, I would, my thing, so I didn't feel stupid is I would always go, see, see, see. I had no idea what anyone was ever saying to me when I first started, but it just seemed cool to go, see, like I was with you, you know? So there was this one girl, I guess. And she said, Hey, can I kiss you? And I go, see, cause I don't know what she said. And we laugh at this because she like then comes in and like tries to kiss me. And like Duran came up and like clotheslined her <laughs> like full on was like, what, what, what's going on here? So we would always laugh about that. He would tell everyone else, well, Les is trying to get girls to kiss him. And, and I had literally no idea because I would always just see. say, see, <laughs> And then when we were together again, he was laughing about clotheslining her and that he saved me and uh, super funny. But with Duran, I finally was able to learn a little more because it was Spanish all day, every day. And um, I was grateful to him because he was super patient, nicest guy. He grew up in the church. He was super smart. I'd always call him cuñado, which means um, brother-in-law, because he had a bunch of sisters that I told him that we were going to get married uh, after. I'm sure he appreciated it. Oh, yeah. He would like, <laughs> stop saying that. <laughs> but he was just, and he was fun, but he knew when to be serious and he, he knew when to play. And he was just, I love him. Like he's family. And I've seen him a couple of times. Like I visited Panama a bunch of years after, and then I saw him recently. And uh, yeah, I just, I love him. So I feel like he really helped you come to learn the language and probably a lot of the culture that you'd been missing with the American companions. Everything. He was so patient. Like I couldn't believe, like, I love this guy. Like I'd do anything for him. And he, we just had this kinship of like, um, he just looked after me, you know, even though he was so fast and I was always chasing him and I, he was just, not only was he so smart and intelligent and understood the scriptures, he was like the spirit whisperer, you know, like he just had compassion. He had empathy. He just taught me a lot of things like, you know, I'd have questions and be like, what, what do you mean? Why, why aren't they doing this? He's like, Hey elder, like they're having a rough day or you know, we just got to love them more or, you know, you don't know what, how their day at work was. He was just, he was wise beyond his years. And I loved him for that. And he always taught me that, yeah, it's not just about, okay, we got to go teach someone, move on to the next person and teach them or this or that. It was like every individual, it's like the one, you know? Yeah. We're not if, out here to just teach lessons. Yes. We're here to teach people. People. And that is the great lesson was unfortunately, you know, we always want to be on time to everything and you have other people waiting for you. But if we have to take, if someone really needs us, then people over priorities. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. So I loved him for it. And it seems like we, and we haven't dived much into this topic on, you know, mission work in general, but you have companions in your life and these companions can play a huge, huge role 
And especially when you're young and you're naive and you're learning and you're growing. And then later on, or maybe soon you're put in the position of where you're with someone that's younger. And it's like, what kind of mentor are you going to be to that person? Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So, and I knew that. So after Duran, we split up, I go to another area with another amazing companion from Honduras named Elder Mallet. He looked like Jay-Z. I always thought I was hanging out with Jay-Z, um, but he was the most, and now this guy was a wild card. He was so fun. I was like, we're so similar. But once again, he was like so spiritual. I love my mission so much. I think there's two things why I was so lucky. I had the greatest companions in the entire world. I always hear about missionaries coming home, complaining their companions or this or that. I was just so fortunate. Maybe the Lord knew that I needed great companions to help me and to be a better missionary because I still am in touch with the majority of all my companions. We're all buds. Like they were amazing. I loved, just loved them. And I had the greatest mission president in the entire world. Like I would have, I never wanted to disappoint. I would have gone to the moon for him. And I, I feel like those two things really helped me be successful on my mission. So then I am, when I leave Leon, I get sent to this place called Granada. Oh man, did I mess up my history? Was Granada the capital of Central America? (laughs) We'll have to do a fact check on this one. It might be Granada actually, dang it, whatever. But Granada is beautiful also. And a mallet from Honduras was just... And you're training him, correct? Nope, he's training me. Well, now I'm done training, but... This was like his first time being a district or a district leader. Okay. So I'm following him around doing extra responsibilities, but he was just like fun. Like we would just have, it was like not missionary, but we were having fun and we were up. We had to get up every morning at six. I now hear that missionaries have to get up at six 30. Yeah. at six 30. And I think someone did the math and I think we got an extra two weeks or maybe two and a half weeks of extra work in just because every day for two years, we were up 30 minutes earlier. So it adds up. a lot of time yeah. that we're missing out on these youngsters. <laughs> um, but we were always up, you know, we're in bed at 1030, living the rules, but just having so much fun teaching everyone. Um, and that was a time too, where like, I was now learning the language. I could talk to people. I wasn't just CCC and everyone, and it just got more enjoyable and more fun. We could have, tell each other jokes. We could laugh together. We could cry together. You know, as time just went on, it just kept getting like better and better. I still had to like learn our charlas, our discussions and our mission. We had to memorize them. And then we had a district leader, a zone leader who had to sit down with you and you had to teach the whole thing to him. And Mr. President was like, Balesa, you're a little slow, buddy. We got to get those done. I think with Mallet, I was able to finally finish all six of them. And then after Elder Mallet. Oh, so I was with Mallet for a month. And then the next month I stay in Granada and I'm asked to train Elder Ortega. Eric, Eric Ortega from, he's also from Honduras. He's brand new to the mission, but he speaks Spanish. So I'm like, all right, 
you, you know, you know what's going on with the language. And, um, he was awesome. He grew up in the church, super smart, but I think we are similar in the sense of like the mission. He, he, he was brand new. So he didn't know the vibe. He didn't know, you know, what was really going on. But I felt like this, I had said, like, I loved Hunt, Duran, Mallet. Like, I felt like this is my time to shine, my responsibility. Like, I need to mold this young man into what they were able to teach me. So I took it, like, very serious. Um, but we still had a great time. Um, one experience I had with him um, that, I, that stuck out to me was... I had a girlfriend, which was the stupidest thing ever, you know, who I would waste time writing to every week, who sent me a Dear John letter. And I remember the day I got it, we just both, and he was so nice and funny. We both get like two liters of Coke and just sit around and pound them. And then we go and get like a liter of ice cream. And we're like, we're just, it was P day. We're yeah. like, we're just going to drink Cokes, get out the system <laughs> and we're just going to pound ice cream. And this is my one day to be sad. And then after that, we're moving on. So we would make, he would make jokes about me that day, like getting dumped and I was cool with it. And it was the greatest thing that happened to me because I just put it behind me and move forward and didn't waste any time. The other thing is we had a, a branch president one day who comes knocking on our door when we're studying. Doo, 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 doo. He's like, elders, hey, we have a guy in the hospital and he's not doing good. Like he needs a blessing. And we're like, all right, let's suit up. You know, uh, we're, we're ready to go. And uh, so we head over to the hospital and the hospital already is just the smell of death. Like there's 50 people in one room mm -hmm. you just crying. It's just like, Oh, already kind of, you know, it's not like in the States when everyone has their own little room, Real quiet and peaceful. Yes. It's library. just, Oh man. And we find our guy who we're supposed to give a blessing to. And I've never given a blessing yet alone in Spanish now. So I'm like, oh man, I wouldn't really, I didn't really think this one through. And I'm like, all right, Ortega, I'll anoint, you're going to bless. He's like, I'm not, what do you mean? I've never given a blessing. I'm like, dude, I'm seeing your companion. Get yeah. on it right now, buddy. He's like, no, I have no idea. So we're like mini arguing. I was like, fine. It's my responsibility. So he does the anointing. I give the blessing. And on the way home, we are on cloud nine. We're just chest bumping. We're just like walking in the streets, waving at everyone, you know, just like talking to everyone. We felt like I gave the greatest blessing ever. I was just like, Heavenly Father rained down and just my Spanish was great and just told him everything that the Lord wanted me to say. And we were just feeling awesome. We go out that day, we teach people and it was just awesome great day. Couldn't have been better. So the next morning we're, you know, doing our studying again and, uh, same branch president knocks on our door. Boom, boom, boom. He's like, Hey elders, you know, the guy you gave the blessing to, I was like, of course we gave the greatest blessing. Was he out running the streets right now? He's like, he's dead. I'm like, <laughs> what? He's dead. 
He's like, uh, yeah. And for some reason, it like hit me like I just killed this guy. Like, I was like, is my Spanish so bad that even God doesn't understand it? It can't even interpret it. Like, for some reason, I was, it did a 180. Like, me and my comp, just like, we're missionaries. Like, we're supposed to be out doing the good work, giving blessings, healing people. And it was brutal. Like, I've never felt that bummed ever. Like it really just like hit me so hard and we were just sad. It was a super depressing day. It was like the highs of the day before and then the lows of the next day. And then it was just crazy that I was studying doctrine and covenants. For, and then that next morning, I'm in doctrine and covenants 42 and that's where I was at. You know, I, I wasn't like going around looking to pick off scriptures or this or that. I just came across Doctrine and Covenants uh, 42, 44. And I remember where I was sitting and I was reading it. And, and it says, and the elders of the church, two or more shall be called and shall pray for and lay their hands upon them in my name. And if they die, they shall die unto me. And if they live, they shall live unto me. And I remember reading that and just being like, I didn't kill him. <laughs> and I shared it with my companion and we just like start hugging and we're like so happy. And obviously we're young and we're learning and yeah, put it into perspective. We're just the Lord's uh, mouthpieces. We're not out there killing people, saving people. It's all the Lord's plan. We're just doing what we can do. And it was just kind of naive of me to even think that I had any type of priesthood power to heal someone, but also kill someone. And this was just a scripture that I kind of just needed for me at the time to know like, hey, everything's in Heavenly Father's hands. You know, you're kind of my mouthpiece. You're helping me out, but just keep preaching the good word, keep testifying, and I'll take care of all these other big things. And it was just like at perfect timing, something that I know that I need to feel better about what just happened. That's a, that's a, that's a tough and beautiful story. Um, and I don't think anyone teaches you or trains you on how to give a blessing, mm. but I think the overall, if, if like I could try to teach someone, if someone's wondering like, what's it like to give a blessing? you it it becomes a really quick and intense prayer between you and heavenly father of you saying what do i need to tell this person and yeah. then it comes and i don't know how else to describe it yeah i i agree and then and also it's just like anything it's just practice you have to do it uh, i do think you know sometimes we get in those elders quorum lessons okay guys we're gonna practice how to do this we're gonna practice how to give blessing like what you say and it's like we just need to look for opportunities to, to serve and, and be ready to, you know, I don't think we should be hopping from hospital to hospital, but like, I just think we just need to do it more and, and, uh, have those opportunities yeah. is what it is. Yeah, be ready to serve. Just be ready. Yeah. Yeah. So after kind of moving on the, uh, 
your, your chronological timeline here. Yeah. You, you eventually got to go open an area. Tell us a, a little yeah. bit about that. So, sorry, real quick. So after I leave Granada, go to one other little area for a, a, um, a month called Cristo Rey. And then I end up being a zone leaders with Elder Duran again, which was just kind of funny that I used to chase him around and it was just kind of came full circle that now we both speak Spanish and it was kind of fun to uh, um, be together again. Kind of be a more dynamic duo yeah. than, yeah. Yeah, now it was like I was robbing to his Batman instead of just like being the Joker to him, <laughs> um, to his Batman. <laughs> um, but then when I'm with him, I get called to be uh, the assistant with our president, President Townsend, So, which was awesome. And for a couple months, I'm working with him. And then um, there was always kind of this area that we always heard about called Puerto Cabezas, which was kind of like talked about. No one's ever been there. That sounds scary because that, that's the Port of Heads. Port right? of Heads. Yes. It's kind of, it's on the, uh, the um, Caribbean side of Nicaragua. Um, the rest is basically on the Atlantic. So over there is like a lot of indigenous people. They speak Creole. Um, it's just very different. The look of people are a lot different. All the houses over there are on stilts, um, because of like hurricanes and things like that. And one meeting, um, that town president Townsend had with all of us, he's like, uh, I'm going to Puerto Cabezas tomorrow and Balesa, you're coming with me. I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, are you serious? So we take this little shifty plane, just hoping we don't die on the way there and go to Puerto Cabezas. And it's nothing like Managua. It's just like, wow. You know, and I'm kind of intimidated being with my mission president. We stay at a hotel for two days. We're praying together. Um, we're teaching. He's like, all right, I'll bless you. You're teaching. So now I'm like, man, I'm teaching in front of him. I hope I'm doing it right. And it was just amazing. They've never seen missionary. The church didn't even, wasn't established, didn't even exist in this. Like people didn't even know anything about Joseph Smith, the mo nothing. You are and, the introducer of the restored gospel. Which I don't know if that's a good or a bad <laughs> thing, but on the way home, when we get on the little plane, La Costeña is what the little plane company's called. He's like, all right, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I want to do? He's like, well, you want to stay with me and work or do you want to open this area? And I thought about it for like a second. And I was like, president, I love you, but I'm leaving. I'm rolling out. He kind of was like, who do you want to go with? And so we're able to kind of Assemble an all-star team. Assemble, um, yeah. <laughs> assemble the Avengers. <laughs> Not really into the Avengers, but I guess assemble, um, you know, some hardworking missionaries. That's all we were. It's not like we were any better or anything. We were just hard workers. And we had to, um, had about, you know, a handful of days. He called the missionaries. We had to ship, like ship beds there and just get a bunch of stuff and gave us a couple bucks and was like, all right make it happen. So we touched down and all right, we had to find a place to live. We had to find that's where we had church. I mean, we had to get a map. We had to decide who's going here. It was, it was so awesome, but it was so foreign of just these young guys getting dropped down and figuring out what we got to do. Our first Sunday, uh, we would have a little sacrament meeting 
And then we would have a little um, Sunday school lesson. Um, there was eight people there in our little tiny one bedroom apartment in this little green house. And there was eight of us and uh, it was awesome. And it was hard at first. We got a lot of people that were, didn't like us, were upset with us um, just because there was a certain churches that were already established. And, you know, it's like the new kid at school that no one really knows about. And we were just, we worked so hard, you know, and we're just like, all right, we got to make this happen. And we were everywhere, scouring, teaching, you know, dealing with other pastures, other churches, other religions. And we had to just kind of, you know, put the stamp of the church and let them know that, hey, we've arrived and uh, we're not leaving in a kind, loving, Christ-like yeah. way, you know, because we didn't want to, we wanted to be respectful. We went to the Mor Morava. I think that was the church. I think it's Moravian in Spanish or in English that I've never heard about, you know, learned a little about them. Obviously there was a big Catholic pre presence there. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, went on a little tiny radio station and we just wanted to get the good word out there and um, let them know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is joining. And so as, as you guys are out there, President Townsend comes in and he has to start to establish leadership. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so our president was so awesome. He would come out once a month to visit us. And we always loved when he came because he'd always take us to a nice restaurant. Mm. We went to the, yeah. So that was always fun. And, um, and we had no members, but then after time, like, I can't, I can't believe, oh, we got a baptize in the ocean. We didn't have uh, anything. So that was always kind of cool and super memorable. But I think of these individuals that we are teaching, that we are proselyting to telling them about the first vision and just them feeling the spirit and that they would get baptized by a 19 to 20 to 21 is, is just to me still mind boggling. Like they would have friends tell them that you guys are kind of crazy. Their pastors would show up at their doorstep. They're like, they just showed up. How are you doing this? And they had like, I look at them as like, we always talk about pioneers. Like these are modern day pioneers for what they are doing for their country for their family for their posterity like amazing that they would that they would do this um and so every couple you know we started having baptisms you know we started we had to move you know like three or four months later we had to move out of that house and get a bigger house congregation is slowly growing you know now it's like four or five months in we're like moving and shaking, you know, our Christmas party. I think we had like maybe 90, hundred people there. Um, and yeah, now president Townsend comes out. We, we need another set of missionaries. So now there's six of us instead of four of us. And he, yeah, he's, he's like, we need to establish, you know, things a little better. The missionaries, we each get certain callings, elder Navarijo, my companion. He's like, you're going to be the mission. You're going to be the branch president. You're going to be elders, current president. You're going to do this. And then he sat me down. He's like, but Lessa, I've never done this. I don't think that I ever am going to, but you're going to be our young women's president. I'm like, what? I'm going to be your young women's president. That seems 
kind of weird. <laughs> He's like, nope, you, he gives me the handbook. So I start learning like the young women's colors, the values, and I start rocking and rolling with the young women's program. And every Sunday we're standing and talking about all of this stuff. And it was, it was cool. Um, kind of interesting, but yeah. So yeah, I, you might be the first male young woman's president I've ever heard of. <laughs> it has definitely helped me in the future or, you know, now with all other kind of roles that I've had in the church, but it was, uh, I think it took a lot of guts for president Townsend to let someone do that. So I always kind of laugh at that. You'd mentioned that at Christmas, you guys had a pretty good, um, showing for your, your Christmas party for the branch. Christmas can be really unique on the mission. Yeah. I don't think we, I don't know. I, there's, there's been some experiences I've had that I've never forgotten. I went, I was in the MTC over Christmas, but was there anything for you on, on your mission and Christmas coming up right now that uh, kind of sticks with you? Yeah. Well, Christmas was always special at home. Like my mom did a great job of, you know, she was the Christmas keeper, <laughs> you know, uh, dad, they did a good job for Christmas and, yeah. My first Christmas away, I was kind of bummed like, oh my gosh, you know, Christmas here, they don't really celebrate it. You know, who's giving me something, but I remember showing up and I got this package from home and this was like the package of all packages. It was like, uh, a hundred pounds. It was huge. Oh, wow. your brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. that's how big it was. So many pictures of Jesus and crosses all, all over, over it. So nobody would open it. So right? no one would open it. <laughs> and I am just like, all right, it's about time. And I open it up and there's nothing for me. I was like, oh man, there's like toys for kids. There's like little kids ties, there's clothes and everything my mom and dad sent was for everyone else. And at first I was mad. I'm well, a shallow, imagine. terrible person. I was like, what <laughs> are you kidding me out of this hundred pound thing? You can't sneak like a package of beef jerky in there or <laughs> yeah. anything. And then there was like the day or two before. And then on Christmas, I obviously put it together. This is not for you. And I went around on Christmas day and gave gifts to everyone in our ward, all the kids, all the family members, one little kid I gave a tie to, he was like, this is the first gift I've ever gotten. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? Like he thought that I was Santa Claus to him. And to this day, it is like one of the greatest, most special Christmases, Christmases of my life. Like I always remember it now. And it was so awesome to just give and go around and see smiles on everyone's face. Like that I love. Yeah. My parents are obviously a lot smarter than I was a lot of at wisdom this time. There, yeah. um, and I finally got over myself and understood this isn't for you and mm -hmm. just caught the vision. And it was awesome. I love it. I'm sure after that, every Christmas too, like meant oh, something completely different to you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it was, um, it was just, yeah, I'm grateful for that experience. And, um, but it was awesome. Yeah. Playing the role of a giver so much more fulfilling. Yeah. But it takes a while to like, when you catch the vision it, and but understand. When you do, yeah. Yeah. And especially as a parent and having kids, there's, there's nothing funner than, you know, seeing the smile on their face. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, 
hats off to your parents too, for having that foresight, right? To, Oh, I mean, to, there had to have been a lot of thought that went into that going, okay, he's going to get a lot more out of this than if we sent him a bag of beef jerky. Right. Yeah. And I could have seen, you know, my parents were also very kind and helpful and giving, you know, they'd send me stuff when I needed it, that it could have gone just stuff for me. But like you said, yeah, yeah they were ahead of the game. So you spent your last nine months in Puerto Cabeza. Yep. Finished it. You opened it, finished it. Yeah. And you recently were able to go back and visit, correct? Yep. I went back a couple years ago. Okay. Well, still recent. Yeah, it's recent. And where's Puerto Cabeza at today with the church? Uh, well, that was, yeah. When I was there, we were the first missionaries. At this time now, there was 20 sets of missionaries or 20 missionaries. So about 10 sets. Um, they had like three or four different branches. They had a huge giant like stake building or kind of a district building. And it was like very, it was just awesome. Like going there with my wife and seeing this giant building. And it just happened the Sunday we went there, they had a, a district conference. The mission president came out and spoke and there was hundreds of people there. And I met him. He kind of knew my story. He on the spot asked me to talk. Oh, wow. So I went up there and there was a lot of people like waving in the crowd <laughs> that I knew. Cause I just, it was kind of impromptu. Hola, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> Some guy so funny. I'm sitting there talking and homeboy walks up. Doom, 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 doom. He's as probably like 60. As I'm talking, just hands me a picture and it's a picture of me. No way with him and the other missionaries and he just like smiles at me and, up <laughs> and then just goes and walks back down and it was kind of cute and heartwarming but i was just like at a loss for words i just was just like how much i love this place how much it meant to me i was the first missionary to show you know to be here and to see all of you uh there's a family i baptized there's a girl that's like served a mission and it was just like all of these emotions and it was just like, this is what it's all about. Was that your first time going back since you had left? No, this is probably like my maybe third time. Mm -hmm. There was a time um, like two years after my mission where I worked and um, saved up a bunch of money, um, like, like 10 grand or something. Then people donated me a little money too, where I got uh, like two buses and um, called the microbuses. And took all of kind of like my friends or like the people I baptized. And mm -hmm. we took them from uh, Nicaragua to Guatemala was the closest temple. Oh, that's so rad. And everyone got like, they were sealing. Oh my gosh. My parents flew in to Guatemala. I, and I get so sick in motion sickness. So, but I, I wanted to go with them. So oh. it's a 24 hour straight drive. <laughs> and you know, the like, roads are going to be bumpy. <laughs> it's like going from Jersey it's to like a roller coaster. It's yeah. like, it would take like an hour or two with like our just, regular freeways, but there 24 yeah. hours, pothole galore. And I just remember when we get into town and we're at like the top of the hill and everyone sees the Guatemalan temple and everyone is just like screaming and oh, jumping man. up and down. And we're all, it was just awesome. Then they all, we all got to stay at the, uh, the like temple housing there. Yeah. Temple housing. Apartment. That's where the MTC is right there in Guatemala. And it was just like awesome because baptism, you know, that's like the gateway of what we do, you know, teaching, 
but lots of people get baptized and it's all about going to the temple. And that's like what we're aiming for. And so baptisms were awesome and amazing. But then when you're in the temple with these people that you love, that you adore is just like it's the pinnacle next level. Yeah, That is crazy. So that was just like awesome. I think that story also, like if you ask my wife, it like played a huge role in her liking me. <laughs> that first story she, that she no, went the with one you. about going to the temple. Oh yeah. Like I think it put it over the top. She's like a lot cooler than me and all those things. <laughs> but when she knew that story, she was like, all right, I think this guy carries a decent guy. He's a decent guy. I just needed that. So I got, I got a question for you. And we talk about it all the time. Usually when we have, uh, when, you know, interview people who, who are served domestically or for, we always ask if they had gone back. Right. <laughs> and obviously if you, served in the States, this is a little bit easier to go back. Um, was there any apprehension in going back? Like, and again, you said you've been back two or three times. Um, he's been back like five times. Yeah. Okay. Five times. So I, I served in Brazil and I've never been back because I feel like I left on such good terms yeah. that I have, I have those baptisms that have gone on missions that yeah. have gone sealed, but I have, I left on such good terms. I'm like nervous to go back. What, what kind of advice would you give somebody like myself yeah. or that's in that situation that that's great. Well, and here, the thing too, is we all go, we're like, I'll come back and visit you. <laughs> yeah. Everyone says that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone. Did you say that? I, I'm texting a member today. Yeah. About coming back <laughs> and all of them say, and when I went back, they're like, Oh, elder so-and-so everyone says it, but they realize like I left on great terms too. Like yeah. I'm crying, leaving, but I love them. I love my friends so much. Like, why wouldn't you Go see them. They're now not going to think that you're a loser because you've gained 40 pounds. You have no hair. <laughs> Jeez, man. You don't you know how to do me like that. No, no but all kidding. of He's us. He's looking at Zach. <laughs> yeah. Zach, Zach has his hair. Yeah, I do. I do. It's thick. Um, but there's also this camaraderie that we now have that I've been back so many times, you know, and I brought my wife um, that they, it's like has solidified our relationship even more That's a good way than to put what it. it was because they do go through so many missionaries and how much they love us. But like, I just feel it's like that extra step of you don't have to be here. You've decided now to come down and, mm -hmm. and see us. And I genuinely, genuinely love when I say these people, but like my friends, like I always say I'm Nicaraguan, you yeah. know, or, um, and everyone's like, oh, what do you mean? But like, I go, when we go back, we don't stay in hotels, we yeah. don't stay in hostels. Like I stay with my friends. Like my wife is so down too. like, we stay in some seedy places. Uh -huh. Like one time I went with my dad too, and he was down too. They tied a rooster to the bottom of his bed so it wouldn't get loose. And if it's like four feet away, it would start screaming in the morning at him. Like we are not going there That's and going awesome. to the four seasons and they just see that, oh, we're friends, we're family, we're, we're just like each other, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I love doing that too. Staying, you know, all, we'll obviously give money to make sure let's eat something yeah, or, or yeah. whatever, but um, that's what I've loved too, is just staying with my friends down there in the you know, interesting places. That's awesome. And I guess one of the reasons why I asked that question is just this last general conference, they announced a temple uh, being built where I'm. And Perfect so, timing. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that that's, 
that's the answer I need to go yeah. down. So and even I, if I've, I've thought a lot about it. You can't call him or find him. You know, in those types of places, yeah. no one's moving. I could show up. You ah! just, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just show up and they're still there. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. That's um, awesome. And even if they've gone somewhere, their next door neighbor knows exactly where yeah. they oh, are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Because so that's what I've done is, yeah, you just roll into town and then everyone's excited to see you. And I think, I think your experience of going back and people remembering you, especially that meeting that you had in Puerto Cabeza, like you helped build that. And a lot of missionaries don't get to see, but they're, they're helping to build something wherever they're serving or within their own family and their own family tree, you know, the impact that the mission will have. But, but that guy, that 60 year old guy that walked up to you and gave you a picture of you and him for years, he had that picture with him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it is awesome because like, and there's always felt a responsibility because these individuals looked up to you. Like we're like 19, 20, 21 year old you know, young men or young women. And, um, you just always wanted to respect them. You wanted to just be such a good example for the church. Also, you know, you're wearing the, the badge. Um, and I'll be honest, when I came home, church was boring. I felt just like another, like just loser guy, no responsibilities, like no one needed me you know, there mm-hmm. we're doing so many different callings. We're doing everything. Like there's just no, it was just, it was hard to come home, but it did help me. I feel like for like responsibility as I've gotten older and callings of, you know, prepare having these experiences for like leadership roles and things like that. But it was hard coming back because when you come back as a 21 year old, Everyone doesn't think you know what's going on as you were in this country, basically helping run the church when they think that, you know, what's going on. It was just interesting. And I felt kind of lonely coming home that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's, an, I think everyone that comes home from their mission kind of feels a major letdown because you don't have the responsibilities anymore yeah. and you, you miss it. Yeah. Kind of bringing ourselves to the present. You work as a filmmaker, you're recently a bishop, and kind of tying in the impact that your mission had on you as a bishop and as a filmmaker, and especially living in, you were in LA. LA. Yeah. Were you able to, I imagine there's not too many, maybe there are, but I imagine there's not too many members of the church that are working in Hollywood showbiz. And yeah, I'd say there's not like a ton of us. Um, but what I love about LA and going to the church, our church is that like people who go they're they're down. Like mm-hmm. I love all the members in LA because it's not cultural, you know, we're not, Oh, I got to go. Cause someone's going to see me or not see me <laughs> yeah, or my mom or dad. It. Like we all go because we want to go and be there, which is exciting. Um, and then yeah, I've always wanted to make films as a young kid, and I'm just grateful for my parents. They have been so supportive. I remember I had some youth people or, you know, church members are like, that is Satan's realm. <laughs> you don't want to get into Hollywood. And I, sure, their brother weirdo, like, I love you, but. Yeah. As the um, church produces movies all the time. Right. Yeah, right. Or, <laughs> and I always feel like myself and my wife's in the entertainment business too. Like, 
we can be great missionaries. Yeah. Like I don't have to get on set and start preaching about the first vision or this or that. It's just like being a good example. Totally. You know, recently what an actor that I knew, um, he had no idea about like my kids knew more about the savior than he did. And I kind of had like a little first discussion just kind of, and he was kind of in, in, in awe, like interesting. Like I think sometimes we, take for granted, like the, like we know we can talk about Jesus. We, we don't need yeah. to, you need to get baptized. You need to do this, this, and that you got to go to the temple. It's just like building bridges. If something is super of what's in common with someone else, a smile goes so far, you know, just being Christ-like doing kind things, like all that stuff is going to come. And so, um, yeah, that's how how has uh, other times in your profession as a filmmaker that you look back on th- you know your mission or things that you learned on your mission, how to talk to people, maybe how to go outside your comfort zone a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think having responsibility at a young age of trying to help build the church, um you know, when you're a director, you're you're the kind of the I don't want to say boss, but you're the collaborator of hundreds of people. They come to you for questions. You have two, 300 questions you have to answer a day, you know, mm-hmm. and it's good to be able to collaborate and talk open and honest. Like, and as a missionary, you kind of have to be on uh, to give answers to, and it's all right as a missionary, if you don't know the answer, I'll get it for you in your profession. Hey, if I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, so I always felt like having those responsibilities as a missionary being able to talk to people, um, you know, build your confidence that way. Um, I also like in the film business, it's very militaristic. So sometimes the director is up here and just barks and yells. Mm -hmm. And there's directors that you hear that are just complete psychos and people Mm -hmm. take it because like (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock, that's just how it is. I listened to, uh, Tom Cruise going off on his cruise yeah. <laughs> on YouTube. And you just hear, you know, actors, directors, and I learned on my mission, that's just not the way that you do things to people or get to their heart, like build common ground yeah, and let's figure this out. Um, be relatable. Be relatable. I think my wife would beat me if I started screaming at people anyways. So, <laughs> um, but no, that's just not the way you you do things. And I learned that at a very young age. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's so many things, how you relate to people, how you deal with your finances, how you deal with, um, not your companion, you know, just so many different things that a mission is just so valuable. I'd go back tomorrow if they called me and it was like, Hey, we need you. All right, let's go. That's awesome. Carrie, thanks again for, for coming on and sharing your, your experiences and your story. Is it, is there anything else before we kind of wrap up that you want to share? No, I think hopefully I was all right. <laughs> made, made some sense. No, you were great. Um, t- we have a tradition of wrapping up and people sharing a little bit of their testimony in the mission language. Okay. Can I put you on the spot? Uh, you can. It's, My Spanish is probably kind of busted, but hey, you know it's, what? All hey. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We'll respect it's it. It's better than both of ours, so yeah. you're okay. All yeah. right. And what am I supposed to say? Whatever you yeah, want. A little, just a little testimony. Okay. 
Gracias, feos. That means thanks, ugly yeah, ones. Yeah, no, I, I, I knew that. <laughs> um, uh, lo que quiero decir es que yo, yo tengo un testimonio del Evangelio de Jesucristo uh, por mis experiencias que tuve en Nicaragua y en mi vida ahorita como un miembro, como un papá, que yo he recibido un montón de bendiciones por el Evangelio de Jesucristo. Uh, yo he leído el libro de Mormón y yo sé que es la verdad. Uh, yo sé que Jesucristo vive y tuve la oportunidad de estar en el lago Salado cuando presidente Nelson fue llamado a ser, ser el profeta y tuve la oportunidad de sostenerlo y lo sentí en mi corazón que él fue llamado a ser un profeta. Y yo sé que esa es la verdad también. Uh, yo sé que el profeta José Smith, que él vio a Dios y Jesucristo, que es, es lo que pasó. Yo lo, he senti yo lo sentí en mi corazón y que también yo sé que eso es la verdad. Uh, este es mi testimonio en mi uh, español quebrado. Y yo se lo dejo en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. Amén. Thank you.